morning, church. Again, I've greeted some of you, but not all of you already. Aren't you glad I'm not going to preach through that long psalm line by line? Or we would be here next Sunday. It's 2016 now. Uh, But a quick word about 2015, which was a beautiful year in a sense. Uh, One of the most beautiful times of 2015 was uh, Christmas Eve, believe it or not. You won't believe it, it, the night before Rebecca's birthday. But that's not why. This was a beautiful night because on that night there was a specific young couple in our church, you know where this is going, um, who have been together for a while and they went to the Midlothian Mines Park to take a stroll in the beautiful breeze when Daniel fell down on one knee and sung his song of love to Karina. That's what I heard anyway. And she said yes. Imagine. We are thankful for that couple as part of our church. They're standing in the back there because they are both serving in King's Kids this morning. That's who they are. They are part of our community. They love this church. They serve this church. And we love you. And we pray God's great blessing over your time of being an engaged couple and on your marriage that is to come. We love you guys. Well, 2016 is now here, and 2015 had a few wonderful moments, but it was interesting to me over the past few weeks how many times I have heard people say that 2015 was a difficult and a dark year for them. And as I thought about this, I thought that, you know, on a global scale, if we think about our world, we have seen news events that rocked our world. We have seen things like Russia getting involved in Syria. This is a big deal. We have seen this Syrian refugee crisis, which is still happening and which some of the news channels have said this is a story too big to fathom. It is just huge. We've seen ISIS attacks on three different continents this year, uh, including the the very well-known attack in Paris. And we've seen mass shootings like the shooting in San Bernardino in California. These are just four of the stories. If you go Google bad things of 2015, you'll just see how many things happened in 2015. I know that for us as a local congregation, 2015 was a difficult and troubling year. As our senior pastor resigned and as we are walking through a difficult, dark time for many of us. 
And I know that individually as I look over this congregation and I know many of you that some of you have had a very difficult and tremendously dark 2015 experiencing a lot of difficulty. And so the question I think that is always on my mind and probably on many of your minds as we walk into fresh. Okay, it always feels fresh. Nothing really changes, but it's just the date, the five becomes a six, and we feel, oh, all is new. And so I wonder if you have the question like I have, how do we or do we have any hope that 2016 will be better Easier, less confrontational, less dramatic, less hurtful than 2015? The short answer is no. We don't have that hope. There is no promise here, and you will hear no promise from me this morning, that we have hope that 2016 will be easier, more fun, more fairy tale ish than 2015 was. But we do have hope this morning. Our hope, though, is not in change of circumstances so that life is easier for us in 2016 than it was in 2015. Now, our change, the the hope that we have is not in change, but the hope that we have is in the faithfulness of God who will be with us in 2016. That's what we can hope for. And we know that anything He sovereignly plans for us in 2016, He will give us the strength to stay standing because of His faithfulness. And so we don't have have hope for change, but we have hope for His faithfulness in 2016. And so I hope that you will see with me as we look at the Scriptures this morning that His past faithfulness stirs in us a hope in and a faith for future faithfulness. And that's what we want to look at. We're looking at this psalm, Psalm 18, which is in the Bible twice. It's not a misprint, though. But 2 Samuel 22 is, again, Psalm 18. It it gives kind of an idea that this is an important psalm for us to see. And we're going to look at three main points this morning. Past faithfulness revealed, future faithfulness promised, and a response solicited. If you ever want to see God's faithfulness, when you read the Bible, go read the Psalms. The Psalms are just chock full of God showing us His faithfulness in the lives of the men who wrote the Psalms. And this morning, as we look at Psalm 18, primarily, because we are going to jump all kinds of other places also, but as we primarily look at Psalm 18, we are going to look at one of these instances where God specifically demonstrates His faithfulness in the life of David. 
And we are going to see how faithful God was to him. And what that should do to us is it should show us that the same God who is faithful to David is the God that loves us and whom we love. And it is the same God who will be faithful to us in our lives. I'm glad that that Bob read the introduction. The introduction to this psalm is significant because it creates context. It says a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. It creates context for us. This psalm was not just written. He was not one day sitting under a tree in the morning breeze thinking, I need to write a song. This psalm was specific. David said, God, I'm writing this psalm as a song because of what you have done for me. You have rescued me from my enemies and from Saul. And therefore, I write this psalm to you. When we look at verse 3, look with me at verse 3. We, what we see in verse 3 is kind of an outline of the entire psalm. It's somewhat of an overview of this psalm. And David says in verse 3, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. That's the short version of this psalm. And so what we see in this psalm is David cries to the Lord. What we will see later on is that there is a reason why he cries to the Lord because of his many troubles And then we'll see that the Lord is faithful and saves him from his enemies. We need to have one thing clear here. We can read that one line and we can kind of have a mind picture of this. David woke up at nine in the morning. He realized he had some enemies. At ten he cried to the Lord and at noon God rescued him. It happened like that. And that's not how it happened. David, like us, have difficulties that span over a long time sometimes. And the enemies that he was delivered from here were enemies for years when the Lord delivered him. So as we look further in verses 4 through 6 again, we see David's troubles, David's enemies whom he wanted to be delivered from. He says, the cords of death encompassed me the torrents or second samuel says the waves of destruction assails me the cords of shoal entangles me the snares of death confronts me david was familiar with great trouble Death stared him in the face. It started after David killed Goliath. And when he went back home, there was a song that the woman sang. And the song said, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul, the king, became excessively jealous of David. 
And he made David his enemy. And he wanted to kill David. And so David had to flee from his king. And he became a fugitive. He became a nomad, a wanderer. And for years, he had to flee before the king and before the men who sought to kill him. Living in caves, always on the run, always wondering, when will they catch up with me? When will they find me and, rest and, and grab me and kill me? And so what, he, what stared him in the, faith, in the face was death. And we see that when we look at verse 4 to 6. He says, the cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assails me. The cords of shul, the snares of death. David stared death in the face for years on a daily basis, always wondering when are they going to get me? When are they going to kill me? Now, of course, we can, we can assume that there were many associated difficulties which David faced as he was fleeing as a fugitive, he did not get to live in his community with the people that he lived with. He surely suffered great loneliness. He was rejected by King Saul, the king that he was very loyal to. He suffered that. He suffered the loss of relationships and friendships he was weak as for years he was on the run, suffered many calamities, and he feared death all the time. David was familiar with suffering. How beautiful then it is to see David's response under the weight of the immense suffering that he was under when we look at verse 6. David says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. What an amazing verse this is. What a beautiful example David sets for us, even for today. What David is saying here is, when I felt all this weight of suffering, what he did not do is turn to his friends who were with him or the people who were with him and started complaining to them, oh, you know what, Saul is such a bad man. He's always out to get me. He did not give over to melancholy, complaining to his friends and his peers. He did not become a victim Always saying, oh, poor me. You know, if Saul would just go away, things would be better with me. But when he did complain, he cried out to the Lord. He called upon the Lord and he cried out for help from the Lord. And I can just hear him, Lord, I am pursued I'm always on the run. Every night when I put my head down, I don't know if I'm going to wake up with an army staring me in the face, charging with, at me, trying to kill me and destroy me. 
Lord, will you help me, please? I'm crying out to you. I know you can do this, but I'm asking, will you do this? Crying to the Lord for help. See, David cried to the Lord for help and not complained to his buddies for help because he knew the Lord and he knew the faithfulness of the Lord and he knew that his only hope was in the Lord. He knew that complaining to his friends would mean nothing but crying to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He knew the faithfulness of the God that he served. And of course then we see God's faithfulness to David. In the second part of verse 6. Where David says from his temple. He heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. What grace that God would hear David's cry. This next section, verses 7 through 19, I love reading that. I read it several times this week because it shows God in action fighting for David. It's quite amazing. You should go when when you cry out to the Lord, go read these verses and ask, Lord, will you do this for me? Listen to some of the words that he used. He said, God bowed the heavens and he came down. He came swiftly. He rode on a cherub. The Most High uttered His voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out His arrows and He scattered them. He flashed forth lightning. He sent from on high and He took me. He drew me out of many waters. And then read from verse 17 with me. He says, He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. I love that. I love that David is seeing he rescued me because he delighted in me. And can you see God's faithfulness here, church? How he acted on David's behalf. David cried out to him. And we see this whole section of how God acted on David's behalf. A mighty God. A glorious God acting on his behalf. And he saved him from his enemy, which were too mighty for him. But they were not too mighty for his God. I know that many of you this morning have similar stories to David's. And if we open the mic now and we ask people to line up and tell of how God has been faithful to you, that there will be many stories similar to this. There will be stories about how God has healed broken relationships that you did not know if they ever could be healed. 
They would be stories of how God has faithfully supplied finances to you at the point where it was reaching the breaking point. There would be there would be stories here about how God touched bodies and healed physical disease. And there would be many stories about how God has sustained you through the darkest, most difficult times of your life. And can you imagine that behind those stories was this same God acting in a similar manner for you, fighting for you, the enemies that were too mighty for you to fight. That is the God that we serve. He rescues us from our strong enemies that are too mighty for us. He's a faithful and a mighty God. But church, hear this morning that the greatest story of God's past faithfulness is not how He rescued David from his enemies and it is not how He has helped us, provided for us, or sustained us. The, the most mighty story, most mighty evidence of God's faithfulness to us is the story of His Son dying on a cross for you and for me. The Gospel is the ultimate proof of God's faithfulness to us. You see, far more significant than saving David from his enemies is God saving you and me from the wrath of a holy God and from eternal damnation. The Bible says that we are all sinners and that we fall short of the glory of God. It means that as sinners, we are not worthy to stand before God because He is holy. It means that He is without sin. He has never sinned. He will never sin. And He cannot tolerate sin. And therefore, if we represent sin, we cannot approach Him because He cannot tolerate that. And His faithfulness is how He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come. God becoming man, living here on earth, taking the form of a man, being tempted like you and I are, yet without sin. And then eventually going to the cross and making an exchange there on that cross taking our sin upon Himself, freeing us from the guilt from that sin, and giving us His righteousness so that we can approach God not as sinful, but as righteous. That is the faithfulness of God, friends. Can you imagine that Jesus offered Himself Hear these words, church. He offered Himself as a ransom for us. He gave Himself so that we do not have to stand guilty before a holy judge. If you have not turned from your sins 
If you are not following Jesus Christ as your Lord, I want to tell you this morning that you are still living like David lived as a fugitive before God. You are living as a man or a woman on the run. And you can either continue to run away from Him and feel the weight of that difficulty or you can turn to Him and cry out to Him and ask Him to save you. And like He did for David, He will rescue you from His enemies, from your enemies. He will save you and you will be a fugitive no longer. God's faithfulness is available for us today. If you do not follow Christ, I ask you, cry out to Him, asking Him to rescue you. The gospel of the saving work of Jesus Christ is the greatest act of God's faithfulness ever and the greatest hope we have. And it stirs in us a faith for future faithfulness. I know that some of you now may say to me, Josh, this is true. Uh, God was faithful to David. And if I think back, I can think of times that he was faithful to me, maybe. But you have no idea this morning of the breadth and the depth and the severity of my current difficulties. I know that it is true. I know many of you. And I know that there are people here this morning who are hurting, deeply hurting, because of broken relationships. You don't know if or when it can ever be restored. I know that there are people here who feel neglected and bruised and deceived because of the difficult process we have gone through and are still going through this here as a church. I know that there are some of you here who suffer with sickness in your bodies that are devastating and debilitating. And to you, first of all, I want to say I am so sorry that you are suffering in a deep, significant way. But I have to tell you, hear this this morning, that God's past faithfulness as evidenced in David's life, in your own life, and on Christ's life that He gave for us on the cross. That faithfulness is exactly what should give you much hope in His faithfulness in your current situation. Let me read you three scriptures that promises God's continued faithfulness to us. Lamentations 3 verse 22 and 23 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
Psalm 119 verse 90 says, Your faithfulness continues through all generations. And Psalm 117 verse 2 says, For great is the Lord towards us, and His faithfulness and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. You know what forever means? It means forever. It means now. Now is part of forever. 2016 will be part of forever. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, the faithfulness and the mercies of the Lord will be new and available there to help you. And Wednesday morning and Thursday and next week and next month and next year. And every day of our lives, the faithfulness of our Lord will be there new and fresh to help us. And we can hope in that for 2016 because He promises it. Does it mean that 2016 is going to be all rosy? No, sorry. But when we look back and we see His faithfulness, we know He will be faithful again. So what is our part in this? That's usually what we want to know. Okay, so I have to do something, right? There's lots for me to do so that God can be happy with me and so that He can be faithful to me. Well, we can do what David did. We can call upon the Lord and cry out for help. That is the best thing we can do as a church this year. We can call upon the Lord and we can cry out for His help. And we will do that as a church. And I, I encourage you to do that individually. Friends, know that He is able to sustain us and He is able to overcome our enemies that are too mighty for us in 2016. We call upon a mighty God. Look with me, if you will, in, in verse 2, how David describes God. He says, The Lord is my rock. A rock is a solid place where you can stand and not waver and not sink, but stand securely. He says, He's my fortress. Fortress is a heavily protected and impenetrable building. He says he's my deliverer. It means he's my savior. He rescues me. He's my refuge. It's a shelter or a sanctuary. He's my shield protecting me from onslaught and fiery arrows. He's the horn of my salvation. has two meanings. It means he is crushing my enemies and he is setting me on a on a mountain top where I am safe. And He's my stronghold, a place that has been fortified so as to protect from attack. That's what God is for us. That's what God will be for us in 2016. Ask the question. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
He muted me. We can ask the question, why? Why did God do this for David? Why will he do it for us? And we see the answer. Look with me at verse 19. The end of verse 19, he says, because he delights in me. It goes on into verse 20. Why does he delight in me? Verse 20 says, because of my righteousness. Now I can see the people throwing flags. My righteousness. What are you talking about? I thought Isaiah said all my righteous works are like filthy rags. Correct. And it is important for us to understand that our righteousness, when we read it in this psalm, when David is saying my righteousness, he is not referring to his own righteousness. And when we say God will do this because of our righteousness, we are saying he will do this because of a righteousness that is mine because it was imputed or given or assigned or credited to me because of that exchange that Jesus did. When he took my sins and he gave me his righteousness. And that is why... God will do this for me because of my righteousness, my imputed, my credited righteousness. God will be our rock and our fortress and our deliverer and our refuge and our shield and our stronghold and our salvation because of the righteousness of Christ that is ours. That will not change in 2016. Our righteousness because of Christ will remain the same and therefore we can hope in it. God's faithfulness in David's life solicited a response from David. Of course, this whole psalm really is in response. As we saw in the introduction, this psalm was written because God saved David from his enemies but we see in this psalm two places verse 3 he says I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and he also says in verse 49 for this I will praise you O Lord among the nations and sing to your name he says for this says, because, Lord, because of what you've done for me, because of this, I want to sing your praise to the nations. I want to praise you, Lord. This is the result. This is the response that God's faithfulness solicited in David. And so we see that his past faithfulness not only gives us hope and faith in future faithfulness, but it also stirs in us a response to his faithfulness, namely praising him as our Lord and our God. But friends, we need to be clear when we praise God, we don't just praise God when he does things for us. Really, that's not why we ever praise Him. We don't praise Him because He does. We praise Him because He is. So we praise the God 
Let me just take a minute to tell you who our God is. He is an eternal God. He has no beginning and end. He is the beginning and the end. He has no boundaries that contain Him. He is infinite and not subject to any limitations of humanity or creation. He does not slumber and He does not sleep. He is a holy God. It means that He is set apart from all other created beings. It means that He has never sinned and will never sin. That He is absolutely righteous in all that He is and does. He is immutable. It means He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The promises He made a thousand years ago are still true for this very day. He is the same God today that He was before He made the heavens and the earth. He is an all-knowing God. He knows everything. He knows everything that exists. He knows all that we do. He knows everything that we are. He knows all languages. He created the principles of calculus and of quantum theory. And he understands how crystal lattices form. He is the only one who knows what an atom really looks like and how it really behaves. He knew every invention ever made before they were ever invented. Because he made them. He knows of biological processes going on on an on a deep level in our bodies that has not been invented or discovered yet. He knows it already because He made us. There's nothing He does not know. He knew who we were before He went to the cross for us. And He still went to the cross for us. And He knows this morning where each and every one of our hearts is and how we are towards Him if we love Him truly or not. He's a powerful God. He made everything and He sustains everything. There is not a single electron in this universe that is spinning in an orbital that He does not know about. Actually, that He did not put in place to do His will for Him. He is a sovereign God. He is the ultimate ruler over all in heaven and on earth. He rules over everything. He orders everything. He controls everything. And nothing happens except according to his eternal purposes and decrees. <coughs> He's never caught off guard. The difficulty that you had in 2015 were sovereignly put in place for you. And the joys and the difficulties of 2016, he will sovereignly put in place for you because he knows what good gifts, including suffering, is needed for each one of us to make us more holy, more like Him. He's a God of love, evidenced by the fact that Jesus came and did this great exchange for us so that we one day can stand before a holy judge and hear the words, You are forgiven, enter into my rest. That is love. 
He is merciful. John 17 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Do you know what mercy it is, church, that He wants us to know Him? The infinite God wants us to know Him. And He reveals Himself to us. We can know Him. It's mercy that He's always with us, always protecting us. He is a gracious God. He is a just God. He is a good God. And He is a faithful God. It means that we can trust Him. Whatever He says, whatever He promises, that He will do. And this, church, is the basis of our hope for spending eternity with Him. Because neither our resolve to follow Him or our determination to be with Him in eternity will have any effect or any benefit, but His faithfulness will sustain us here and will ensure in eternity with Him forever. Whew. We have so much hope. If you still feel hopeless this morning, I want to read you one Two verses. Listen to what hopelessness is or was. Ephesians 2 verse 12 says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope, without God in this world. That is hopelessness. But if you are a Christian, if you believe in Jesus Christ, read the next verse. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We do not lose hope, church, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We have amazing hope for His faithfulness in our lives. And I don't know about you, but in me this does the same thing it does for David. I want to praise His name and sing to the nations. Let me end this way. I do not know the difficulty that you will face in 2016. But I know that God will be faithful to you in 2016. So maybe we should change the question I asked in the beginning. I asked the question, do we have any hope for a better, more fun, easier, less hurtful, less dramatic 2016? We quickly cut that off the knees and said no. Maybe we should change that question to ask, in 2016, do we have hope to be sustained to be rescued from our enemies, to be loved by God, to receive mercy from Him, and to get to know Him better? And then our answer is yes. We have hope for that because He promises that. He is amazingly faithful to us. (coughs) May this encourage your hearts, church, that in 2016... As we launch in and as difficulties come, that you will have hope in the faithfulness of God, our Creator. May we see Him in fresh and new and exciting ways this year as He helps us.
Amen. Amen. We are going to praise His name together and sing together so that we can worship Him for His goodness together. Also, as we get together to sing, I want to encourage you. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. And I want to encourage you to be what 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 calls a cheerful giver. Giving as you have decided in your heart and not reluctantly or under compulsion. And realize as you give today in this here church that it is an amazing act of worship to God when we give to Him. May God help us to love Him more this year.